when I was in seminary, uh, I've, I've been a pastor now for a little over two decades, and um, way back when I began, I was in a place serving at a church, and it was honestly a very, very hurtful situation. I wasn't equipped at all for the leadership that I was asked to put out, and I was a massive failure in all respects, no two ways around it, and it was, for me, very personally wounding, and I, I thought, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. Maybe this is just not what I'm supposed to do, and I got this wrong. And as a way to protect myself, I uh, went to school, went to seminary, and uh, I, I, uh, I, I, I got a job for a couple of years working in a corporation. And uh, f- during those two years, I just kind of decided, you know what, I'm not going to be involved in giving my time to people. Uh, I'm really not going to give any money to any purposes bigger than me. And for a couple years, my life was basically about me. We didn't have any kids, so we were double income, no kids. And I remember going to the store in the mall one day because I just, you know, wanted to go to the mall. And I'm standing there at a rack with some shirts. And I paused and I went, do I really need another shirt? And it struck me that I was miserable. And it struck me even more that I was miserable because my life was basically about me. For you, you may, you may, this may be a moment of clarity for you because you realize part of the reason that you're miserable in your life is because your life is fundamentally about you. And you may say, well, but my life is hard. Yes, everyone's life is hard. But when you, the more you make it about you, the more you focus on you. And the more you focus on you, the more you think about you. And the more you think about you, the more you worry about you. And the more you worry about you, the more you make it about you. And round and round you go on a merry-go-round existence wondering when the ride will stop. So instead, you have to make sacrifice normal. Now, I need you to know when I say what I'm getting ready to say, I'm talking to people who are following Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus, this doesn't apply to you, okay? You you can just listen in. But let me tell you two specific areas that sacrifice has to become normal for you or you're only talking hope. You're just talking a good game and you're not actually doing it. And those two areas are your time and your money. When I go to the grocery store, uh, invariably, I'll see somebody, and they go, oh, look, the pastor's at the grocery store. I want to talk to the pastor about something in my life. And so I pause because I care, and I listen, and I sacrifice my time. Uh, When I go to the gym, uh, invariably, someone's at the gym, and they're like, oh, the pastor's there. I want to talk to the pastor about this issue, and I want to bend your ear. And because I care, I sacrifice my time. I've decided as I reflect back on that time in my life when it was just about me and I spent all my time and all my money on myself, that I don't want anything to do with that anymore and I would much rather sacrifice my time for people because that's what's, that's what's required. And so I sacrifice my time intentionally. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that I give all my time. I, I draw boundaries and I can say no to people. And, but I've decided that it's going to be normal for me to do that. And then I've also decided that it's going to be normal for me to sacrifice my money. And, and I'm not, I, I know this is such a weird subject when you talk about money and you're like, oh, wait, see, I knew you were talking about money. It, a huge part of my experience of following Jesus is sacrificing my money and my time. And so I had this revelation this week, and I went, if that's a huge part of my journey and of every person I know 
who is a deeply committed follower of Jesus, who is what I would call a hope dealer, if every one of them that I know sacrifices their time and money, why would I tell people that they don't need to sacrifice their time and money if they're going to follow Jesus? So if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to sacrifice your time and your money, or you're just talking smack. So here's what we've decided, because we give a tenth of our income away, and we've done it for years, is there's just some things we're not going to have. We could drive new cars for what we give. We don't. Now, I have nothing against new cars. I'm not telling you not to have a new car. That's a sacrifice we've decided to make. We don't go on a vacation somewhere sunny uh, a couple times a year because of what we give. Now, I'm not telling you don't go to vacations in sunny places. Uh, We're actually trying to sort it out in our finances so that my wife and I can go away without our children because they drive us nuts sometimes. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's a sacrifice we've decided to make. And for some of you who follow Jesus, you're going on your fourth or your fifth trip to someplace sunny in the same year, and you're spending God's money on a vacation. Now listen, it's all God's money. Do you understand that? He just gives you some of it and says, here, be a steward of this. And if, but if you're not regularly, now listen, regularly on a planned basis giving your time and your money you're talking smack. Don't say you're dealing hope. Because see, what you're doing is you're inviting God into your agenda when you decide how, well, I feel good about that, so I want to give you this, or I want to give you my time here. You have to make sacrifice a normal thing. And if you're going on your fourth vacation in a year, what you're doing is you're, you're looking for that vacation to provide you the replenishment that you really need to find by having a different pattern of your life, in your life of eating differently and working out and learning to pray and have a relationship with God that replenishes you and read and you need, you need a different thing if that's what you're doing. But you've got to learn to make sacrifice normal if you're going to follow Jesus. Do you understand that? You're never going to deal hope. Don't kid yourself. A third thing is this, is that you've got to see beyond the present moment. And here's what I mean specifically. I'm talking about people. Uh, because people are a mess, aren't they? I mean, your life would be great if it weren't for the people in it. <laughs> if those people in your life with those problems weren't around you, you wouldn't have any of the problems that you have, would you? I have a friend who talks about it like this. He says, what we ought to do for everybody is we ought to imagine everybody with an imaginary uh, uh, construction zone around them with the, you know, the signs when you see something under construction. Uh, please pardon our mess. Work under construction. That if we had that view of people, that it would change how we see people. Because what we want to do is we want other people to look at us and say, okay, well, you didn't quite have it all right. We want people to give us a break and see that we're under process. But we don't want to give that back to other people. We don't want to give them the same courtesy that we want them to apply to us. And so what we do is when someone says or does something that we feel is wrong, what they're doing is they're saying or doing something wrong from my perspective. And so when I only have my perspective and I can't see beyond the present moment, then my temptation is to become the person who says, well, all people are like that. So maybe you got burned somewhere by someone, and so you decided, because that present moment happened, that hurt happened, guess what? Everybody gets burned by somebody at some point. But that happened at one point for you, and you decided, now everybody's like that, and so you don't trust anybody. That's, why is that? Because you can't see beyond the present moment. And so the, re, the result is that you have become a cynic, and hope thrives on the possibility of people changing. And you have to be able to see beyond the present moment, and you want to say, okay, I'm going to give other people permission to grow. 
Jesus, probably his most famous parable is a parable in Luke chapter 15 of two sons. We know it as the, pro, the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. And that's really a story about two sons. We make it about the younger son who does wild things, but there's an older son, and Jesus in the story is saying the younger son who does wild things and does whatever he wants away from his father is many of our journey. But some of us stick around the religious stuff, and we're just as far from God by doing our religious stuff as the younger son was by leaving the household. And, and it's the younger son who comes back into his father's household and shares in his father's wealth. And the father goes out to the younger son and welcomes him back, but he also goes out to the older son and, and he says, listen, I have everything I have is yours. You can have everything that I have. It's all yours. And the parable ends without knowing what the older son does. Jesus is saying, see beyond the present moment. Leave the possibility open that someone might change. Because if you can't see beyond the present moment, you can't offer them hope. And hope dies in your own heart. The last thing that you've got to do is you've got to see outside your box, which means that you've got to realize that the world is bigger than me. I've found that there's more that I don't know than that I know. Do you remember when you were younger and you thought you knew everything? Remember those days? Like, oh, I know. Now you go, oh, I don't really know a lot. I'm kind of dumb. <laughs> Some of you are young and you're like, I do know everything. No, you don't. Just wait. <laughs> I'm talking about developing a, a pattern of curiosity. I, as a kid, I used to get out maps, and I would look at the, remember when you had just an atlas? Some of you don't, but you had an atlas, and that was the only way you could see what it was like, the maps of other places, and I would get out the map of the United States, and I would look, and I would wonder what it was like in Biloxi, Mississippi, or Fort Worth, Texas, and, or Butte, Montana, or, and I would wonder what people were like, and I would wonder what they did, and and then I would get a globe, and I, I, I grew up in Africa as a young boy, and I had that as an experience, but I would, what's it like in Russia, and what's it like in India? And this innate curiosity developed in me where I, I wanted to see outside of my box. I wanted to see that the world was bigger than me, and, and you have to develop that. You have to be willing to see outside of your box, and I'll give you three ways that you can do that. Uh, one is that you can travel. Now, that may just be to another town. It may be for you. You just need to go to Chicago and walk downtown and see that people approach life differently. Because without seeing outside your box, you assume that all of life is the way that you see it and all experiences people have everywhere are like you experience them. And, and that's honestly why we are so divided in our country because we can't see outside of our box and we only let into our box the people who agree with us and think like us. And so our, our vision gets myopic. It just it zones in and there's no peripheral vision and we only see the direction that we're headed and we can't see anybody else's perspective because we, we're going to do the Christmas offering again and one of the things we're going to do is we're going to build a well in Malawi, Africa, the country where I was born. And, and, uh, but every time we do the Christmas offering I, and we talk about something global because we're going to do a bunch of stuff locally, Someone always says, well, yeah, but, you know, we need to take care of here first. I, I, I agree, we need to take care of the needs here. But seeing outside your box recognizes that God's a global God, and God has global concerns, and there are global needs, and that God so loved the world, right? Not just the, he loves the region, but he loves the whole world, the whole thing, every part of it, every culture, every color, every creed. He loves the whole thing. And in your box, it's just God only loves people like me. You have to see outside your box. Another way you can expand is read. There's, there's a world in books. Much of my thinking and much of my change has come through the books that I've read. I promise if you have a problem, 
there's somebody who's been through that problem, figured out how to solve that problem, and written a book about it. And you could solve many of the problems you think are insurmountable in your life by simply reading a book. I don't know if you know that. Another way you can do that is just to meet new people and ask questions about their perspective. See, all, all this does is this develops a humility about your own experience and says that there are other perspectives. And then when you have that humility, you can offer hope to people because people sense that you have humility. They sense that you don't think you have it all figured out and that you're just there to help. Now, you understand that when Jesus set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem, when he decided that he was going to unleash different destinies and different tomorrows for you, that he was doing that for you. You understand that. That when he was setting his face like flint, he was going to the cross, and he was going to the cross because he knew if he didn't do that, you'd never see hope. And so you have to do for the people around you what Jesus did for you, and you have to set your face like flint. Or you'll never become a hope dealer. So I I want us to, I'm calling it the Hope Dealer's Manifesto. We're going to put this on the screen and, and I would like for you to recite this with me. And um, as we do that, uh, I'm going to invite some friends who are here from uh, Kenya and from Chicago, from World Vision, who are going to come up here as we do this. So would you, uh, would you say this out loud with me? We're going to recite this together if this is what you want to do. You want to be a hope dealer. Let's say this out loud together. Say it like you mean it. Ready? Here we go. Today, I will put Jesus first. His agenda will be my agenda. Today... I will sacrifice my time and my money. My investment is in God's kingdom. Today, I will see beyond the present moment. There is more God wants to do than what just happened. Today, I will see outside my box. This is my Father's world, and I have a part of redeeming it. So as they come up, I want you to welcome uh, Beverly and Florence and Ashley. They're going to talk to us about their life. This is Beverly. Um, this is Beverly and Florence. These are my fellow Africans. I'm also an African. If you know, you know my terrible joke about how I'm an African American. Uh, but these are my fellow Africans, right? Uh, we are uh, from the same country. And so uh, I want you to. Oh, you need microphones. How about that? Let me get you a microphone. I want you to hear a bit about their story. We're super excited to be here today uh, with you all. Uh, My name is Ashley. I work for Team World Vision, which is the running ministry in Chicago. I'm sure you all know plenty about. Um, And I brought two friends with me today, Florence and Beverly. And we're going to get to know them in just a second. But first, I wanted to say a thank you to Real Life. Um, Josh Folkerts, who's over the Chicago Marathon with Team World Vision, told me yesterday that since 2013, Real Life has provided clean water to about 6,500 children. So give yourselves a round of applause because that is absolutely amazing. That is so great. And so when World Vision heard that we were going to be able to bring some of our sponsored children here from Africa, we knew that there was no other place we could be besides real life. So I want to introduce you to my sponsored child, Beverly. Um, Beverly, could you tell us how old you are and what is your favorite subject in school? I'm 13 years old and my favorite subject is maths and English. Yeah, awesome. So um, Beverly is from Bartabwa, Kenya. And um, I was actually privileged enough to visit her there a couple years ago. And one of the first things we did when we were there is we walked for water. We walked to her clean water source that World Vision had put into her community. Um, But World Vision had just installed that water source only three years ago. And before that, it was a completely different picture um, in her community. Beverly, can you tell us a little bit about 
uh, what it was like before you had clean water. First, we were fetching water in a dam, and some people wash clothes there, some animals drink water there, and when all vision came, they built for us a tank, and now we fetch uh, clean water. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so awesome. So World Vision was able to install a tank in um, Beverly's community that actually filters out that water and makes it clean water. And things like uh, those clean water projects are made possible by donors like you through things like the Chicago Marathon or the 6K for Water, which is really awesome. Um, and you've heard us say this at World Vision a hundred times before, but clean water is really just the beginning. Once a community has clean water, that enables um, not just World Vision, but other NGOs to come in and do community development projects. Beverly, now that your community has clean water, can you tell us um, how school has changed for you? Before World Vision, we were sitting under a tree and uh, sitting on a stone and read. And all vision came, the, the bull for us, a classroom, and now we read on a classroom. Awesome. Yeah, so once Beverly's community had clean water, World Vision was then able to come in and build them a classroom with latrines um, and another tank for them to have clean water. And things like school projects are actually made possible through what we call child sponsorship, where my $39 a month doesn't just go to Beverly, it goes to the entire community. They pull all of those sponsorship dollars together and the entire community gets the benefit. Um, now, Florence, you've worked for World Vision Kenya for seven years now, which is a really long time. Can you tell us more about what World Vision Kenya is doing besides clean water? Okay, thank you, Ashley and Chad for having us here. Uh, apart from water and education, World Vision also does a, a food security projects. Uh, in Kenya, um, most families take one meal per day. And uh, you'll find that also many children are malnourished. So to address these issues, World Vision have uh, introduced modern farming systems, including irrigation system, to ensure that food uh, production is, or there is available food at the household level. Uh, with this, uh, we are able, most of the families are now able to have three meals per day, and most of the children, especially under five, uh, their nutrition status has been enhanced. The other thing is health. Uh, most of the challenges we face in the communities we serve is the low immunization rate, and uh, most of our mothers deliver at home. Uh, this has caused most of the children not to see their fifth birthday. Uh, to address that issue, uh, World Vision is working closely with the government and other partners to train community uh, health workers who go direct to the villages to ensure that the communities are sensitized to, to know the importance of immunization and hospital deliveries. Uh, to ensure also communities and children are spiritually nurtured, World Vision is working closely with faith-based organizations in training pastors and Sunday school teachers so that they can reach the community and ensure that they also experience the love of God and their neighbors. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you, Florence.
That's so awesome. So besides clean water, World Vision does community development projects like Florence just told us about, food security, healthcare, spiritual nurture, where we train pastors and Sunday school teachers. Um, I really just wanted to bring Beverly here today to show you that the children that you are helping, the children that you're helping us help, they are real children. These are communities of real people. These are communities of our people. Matthew 25 says, whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do for me. Um, and I think very often we overlook the brothers and sisters of mine part and we focus too heavily on the least of these part. And that breaks my heart because I think the minute that we focus in on the brothers and sisters apart, um, the brothers and sisters part for any people, we'll realize that the immediate need of access to clean water, the need of a place to go to school, those are things that no child should have to worry about, whether they live in our home or whether they live 8,000 miles away like Beverly. So today, I want to invite you all into the relationship of child sponsorship. My husband and I, we actually sponsor four children, um, and each child is filled with so much life and so much love, and they have become such a huge part of our hearts, such a huge part of our families, so much so that my mom jokes that they're going to be her only grandkids if my husband and I don't get started soon. So <laughs> in a second here, we're going to show you a video about how God placed the name Beverly on my heart. But on your seat today, you got this card. While the video is playing, fill out that card and take it to the World Vision table in the community center after the service and exchange it for the name that God wants you to invite into your family. From the bottom of my heart, on behalf of myself and Beverly and the three other children that I sponsor, I really want to encourage you today to take that leap of faith and join me in sponsoring a child. Thank you. When I first saw her name, it was on her World Vision sponsorship folder, Beverly. I kept reading and found out that she was 12 years old. I learned she'd known true need for years, traveling far for water, putting herself in danger, and keeping her from school. I could have passed her name, forgotten about her, but something took a hold of me. Over the last year, that name, Beverly, has come to mean so much. I've learned that she's an amazing poet. She loves math and science, and she's becoming a leader in her school. Even better, my donation of $39 a month to World Vision is already hard at work bringing clean water to Bev and her community, allowing even more children to go to school. I'm also helping with things like basic health care, nutritious food, and protection from exploitation. Bev is now family, and it all started with a name. Which name will be the beginning of something beautiful in your life? What if, together, we made today one of global action? What if you sponsored Rosemary and the person behind you sponsored Chansa? What if your whole role, your whole service, sponsored a child? Imagine this across every church. What will be the name you pray for? Whose face will you put on your fridge? Which child will you write letters to with your family? Join us in this movement to show the love of God to children around the world. Sponsor a child today. My wife and I have sponsored uh, kids through World Vision for close to two decades now. We sponsored two children, Sentu and DA. Their pictures are on our fridge. And I would just encourage you, if you want to deal hope, that this is a powerful way to do it. I've been to Bartabwa, Kenya, 
where Beverly lives and I've seen the conditions there and the difference that uh, an organization like World Vision makes in the name of Jesus. It, it quite literally, abject poverty around the world is quite literally brain surgery to solve all the systemic things that make it work. And World Vision does a brilliant job and uses the resources so well and makes a massive, massive difference in desperate places around the world. So you can, you can trust that when you, when you, sp you join them in partnership that you're making a massive difference. And even if you're not ready to do this, would you take this home and would you just say, I'm not ready to do that, I'm not sure about that. Would you take and put it on the fridge? And just set it there and say, hey, God, if that's something you want me to do, I'll do that. Uh, there's not pressure to do this, but I, I would so recommend it. It's such a powerful thing. It's been a great thing for our family. Well, we always leave you with a blessing. I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. And I want to give you a blessing as we go. May you know the God who set his face like flint because you were on his mind. You were the purpose that he was moving toward. You were the person he came to love. May you know you're now sent in his name to love him in return, to love people, and to serve the world that he loves so much in his name. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. If you want to write your name on the board, feel free.